many who began seriously questioning the origins of today's cultural chaos, which involved everything from the culture wars to the modern left switching from its original orange liberal values to a postmodern illiberal relativism, were a great number of the members of the intellectual dark web. Many of them are convinced they are no longer members of the left, that is, the new far left, the extreme left, the postmodern left, the regressive left. Yet many of them aren't totally comfortable with simply saying, I'm now a member of the right. In part, this is because of what the right historically has looked like when it became truly extremist or radical, obviously, such as the Nazis. But I'm also suggesting a reason that they're not that comfortable explicitly coming out and saying, I'm totally left or I'm totally right, is that they're actually integral second tier. They're no longer identified with or thinking from a first-tier orientation, and it's either-or thinking. The IDW strongly tends to a second-tier that is both-and, that actually attempts to unify and integrate the partial truths in other views. Not how is my view right and all the others wrong, but how they all fit together in a bigger unity and synthesis. Now, they might not explicitly state things this way, but what they are not doing, for one thing, is trying to find the one and only correct way to look at the situation. They're much more interested in open conversations with literal, literally anybody in an attempt to include as much truth as possible wherever it comes from. We've seen that this unifying and integrating capacity is what defines second tier. And virtually every developmental model in existence includes, as some of its very highest stages, ones that, whatever they're called, are referring to these unifying and integrating levels of development. Recall, as only one example out of literally dozens, that the brilliant developmental researchers Michael Commons and Francis Richards have found that the upper reaches of first tier are what they term systematic and then metasystematic. Systematic thinking creates large, worldwide, universal systems that function as integrated wholes. That was the rationality that largely dominated modernity and the Western Enlightenment. Then the next stage common in Richard's call metasystematic a stage that would come to dominate and largely define post-modernity, at least at its leading edge. This is the stage we call that Graves called relativistic, because what this stage does is basically reflect on the single great systems that the previous universal stage created, and with its meta-stance, it ends up differentiating and dividing all those single systems into vast collections of multiculturalism and relativistic diversity. This is what postmodernity did. But this stage has no way that it can actually unify or 
integrate all of those fragments that it created. It's left with just a jumbled mess. And so by default, it simply claims that all values have exactly the same value. In other words, a relativism that leads to a default egalitarianism. And as we'll see in a moment, this led for a demand not for equal opportunity, but equal outcome. Notice that the next higher stages of development, starting at second tier, are what Commons and Richards called paradigmatic and then cross-paradigmatic, precisely because of their unifying and integrating capacity. These stages can start pulling together into unified holes the differentiated mass that the meta-systematic postmodern stage created. The paradigmatic stage takes all the fragments created by the previous meta-stage and integrates them into functional and useful disciplines, or paradigms. And then the even more inclusive cross-paradigmatic stage looks at all the paradigms that have been created and tries to bring them together to unify and integrate all of them, or certainly as many as possible. In other words, these both are truly second-tier stages. They want unity and diversity, a real integration and wholeness, along with the wonderful diversity and multiplicity. And this includes attempting to unify science and religion, among many others. One of the things that a person who is thinking integrally will do is look around the cultural landscape and see what is especially lacking in what they see. Put it this way, what second tier is looking for is wholeness. What it will especially notice is lack of wholeness. And one of the things that has been conspicuously disappearing from the scene in the Western world, starting with the 60s, is the original liberal values of a modern, rational, world-centric orientation, which emphasizes freedom, individual rights, and universal values. These liberal values have vanished into on the one hand, the postmodern illiberal values of identity politics, and on the other, an actual regression to traditional pre-modern, pre-liberal, and re-tribalized values. A tribalism that an identity politics invites and even absolutizes. Modern liberal values have all but been swallowed up with one ironic exception, the new orange right. It's modern conservatives who are vocally fighting for free speech, not today's progressives, who, as the sensitive self, a name that several developmental models give to the screen stage, but the sensitive self is ready to suspend free speech if it hurts any group's feelings. So, as an IDW member looks around at the world, 
They'll especially notice that modern, world-centric, liberal values are under attack. As we previously noted, probably the most common political orientation that you will hear members of the IDW claim is that they are, quote, traditional liberals. They will not often say, I'm on the left, in part because they fully realize that now the left and liberal no longer mean the same thing. And they see that the new left tends to be illiberal or even anti-liberal. Rather, most of the IEW folks are supporting, at least in part, the values of the old left. They're embracing the original liberal values. They are embracing that, quote, traditional liberal stance. This is also, we've seen, exactly what today's orange conservatives do. So it's not surprising that virtually all of the IDW members report that they have virtually never been invited to speak by any organizations on the left, only those on the right. Not the alt-right, the mainstream right, who have, we've seen, embraced the original orange liberal values. This has, it's fair to say, stunned pretty much all of them. Brett Weinstein says that he is, quote, absolutely flabbergasted that the mainstream right is today the banner holder for free speech, for freedom, for equal individual rights. Brett says he is flabbergasted because, again quoting, this is not the right that I grew up with. He's referring to the fact that as we noted, the right has bumped up from traditional ethnocentric values to include a modern liberal world-centric stance. And so that part of the right is indeed championing exactly the original liberal values that the left itself represented when it was first introduced, but that today's postmodern left has almost entirely abandoned. And somebody at second tier is going to notice this lack strongly. IDW members, for the most part, even though they talk about traditional liberals, are looking for ways to generally integrate the concerns of both the left and the right. Now, we already knew that the extreme far right, particularly as it pushes into real fascism, tends to be amber, ethnocentric, and absolutistic, and so it embraces some form of racial superiority or white supremacy or some version of ethnic, racial, or gender absolutism. This claim to racial superiority became crystal clear to the entire world with the Nuremberg trials. As Jordan Peterson often points out, this is how we know that the right has gone too far. It starts talking racial superiority and such. And everybody knows this is fascist, authoritarian, and ultimately murderous. But it was a jolt to see the extreme left starting to move down and join them in the left's own version of 
deeply ethnocentric tribalism and extreme identity politics. With identity politics, whether on the right, where you emphasize your own superior group race or ethnicity or sex, or whether on the left, where you eulogize the sacred nature of victimhood that your special group or tribe has, in both cases, you always emphasize how your tribe is different from all other tribes. You never focus on what all tribes have in common or what they all share. You are indeed deeply ethnocentric, not world-centric. And you hold this absolutistically. So if you're not already at amber, you will indeed tend to regress to amber, to an ethnocentric, prejudiced tribalism, which sees the most important characteristic that anybody possesses is their immutable identity with a specific group. This is a deeply disturbing retribalization that has sent the Western world into a regressive dive that we still have yet to overcome. Now, this is absolutely not to say that certain groups haven't been historically oppressed, enslaved, or unjustly treated, and that those groups might deserve some sort of different treatment today because of past injustices. But it is to say that when you focus only on your separate group or tribe and how it differs from all the others and show no concern for the things that your tribe shares with all the others that it has in common with them, then you are by definition playing an ethnocentric, prejudiced, and bigoted game. This biased ethnocentric stance is what humanity has sought so desperately hard to overcome throughout its entire history, certainly in the West. And so to see humanity regressing back to that stance under the guise of a true fairness of a world-centric stance, that's heartbreaking, just heartbreaking. But I often hear if IDW members are especially in touch with second-tier integrating and unifying awareness, why do so many of them dislike postmodernism? This general movement called postmodernism. Let me first say that I happen to agree with virtually all of their criticisms of postmodernism. But look at what it is they're actually criticizing. For this, keep in mind that what each higher stage is in fact including and integrating from a lower stage is not the lower stage's worldview. It's not how the world looks from that lower stage. It's rather that stage's actual functional ingredients. In other words, it includes the lower holons, but not how the world looks from just those lower holons. It's like if you're climbing an actual ladder. You step up to the first rung, and you have a view of the world from that rung. Then you step off rung one and up to rung two. Then from rung two, you'll see the world from that rung. What you will not see 
from rung two is how the world looks from rung one. That view is gone, totally gone. But what remains is rung one itself. So while you're at rung two, you still have rung one under you. That rung is still there. It's still included. You've not gotten rid of it. It's not lost. What you have lost is the capacity to see how the world looks only from that lower rung one. You now see the world from rung two. So by the time you're at, say, rung eight, you're now standing on that eighth rung, and you're seeing the world from that larger perspective of that rung eight. The earlier rungs, one through seven, are all still there. They still exist. You're standing on them. You just can't see the world from any of those lower rungs. The rungs are still there, but the views from those rungs are now gone. So that's what we mean when we say that each higher rung of development transcends and includes. What is transcended or gone beyond is the limited view from the previous lower rung. What is included is the rung itself and its functional capacities. But the view from that lower rung is replaced by the view from the higher rung you're standing on now. So that's transcend and include. Hegel said that to supersede is, quote, at once to negate and to preserve. It's the same thing. What is negated is the view from the lower stage or rung. What is preserved or included is the rung itself. So when it comes to what is generally called postmodernism, that is a view that is especially generated when you're at a meta-systematic stage or rung of development. Now, whatever that stage is actually called will vary, depending on which of several dozens of models you're using. But virtually all of them agree that something like this stage occurs and is very real. And one of the names we're using for it is meta-systematic. The point is that the actual rung is the meta-systematic capacity itself, which includes the capacity to extensively reflect on and criticize the previous stages. The view of the world from this stage is a major factor in what tends to produce what we call the postmodern worldview, the view from that rung. And as you move to second tier, you'll keep the capacity for reflective and metasystematic thinking, but you lose the limited view that's generated by being only at that stage itself. In other words, you'll no longer have a postmodernist view of the world. You'll have an integrated or truly holistic view of the world, but you will still have a capacity for metasystematic thinking. In fact, one of the main things that truly integral thinking will actually integrate are the numerous differentiations that the previous metasystematic or relativistic stage has created or disclosed. The same thing is true, for example, of formal operational cognition and concrete operational cognition and sensorimotor cognition. If you're at a higher stage, all of those capacities are still present. They're all active. You still have full access to them, 
and continue to make use of them. But you're no longer at those stages themselves. You're no longer identified with them. And so you no longer have the view of the world you will get if you are only at those stages. You still have their capacities, but no longer their limited worldviews. Thus, it appears that many of the IDW members are fully in touch with the rung of development that is most responsible for a postmodern worldview. They're fully capable of things like metasystematic thinking. Yet most of them have also gone beyond that stage and moved forward into a second-tier awareness that's deeply integrative and unifying. They've kept the capacity of the postmodern rung but let go of the postmodern view. And they don't like what the postmodern view is doing, even when they themselves are using the postmodern rung. I don't like what a postmodern view is doing either, not at all. And in Trump and a post-truth world, I lay a good deal of the blame for the nightmares of postmodernism on the doorstep of a badly broken green worldview and its contradictory values. And that worldview is being generated, for the most part, by individuals who are at that green stage. Those who have moved beyond it to integral second tier are acutely aware of its limitations, inadequacies, and contradictions. An enormous number of developmentalists have found exactly that stage sequence. That is, a stage sequence that, at this point, moves from a relativistic, egalitarian worldview to a unified, holistic, integrated view. We've seen Claire Grays refer to them as relativistic, the highest stage in first tier, moving to systemic, the beginning of second tier. Commons and Richards referred to them as metasystematic and then paradigmatic. Howard Gardner speaks of relativism and then integration. Cheryl Arman lists what she calls subjective relativism moving to universal holism. William Perry outlines relativism giving way to stages of commitment. Deidre Kramer lists what she calls Dynamic relativism and contextualism, which is about as postmodern as you can get, which then gives way to dynamic dialecticism, which she defines as, quote, the integration of cultural and historical systems. Jan Sennett found what she calls relativistic and then unified. Really, the evidence for these stages is just enormous. I'm simply suggesting that in all the explanations that I've seen for what postmodernism is and why it showed up just now, I've never seen this specific developmental evidence taken into account or really even mentioned. But surely it has had at least some hand in the unfolding of these major cultural currents. The book The Listening Society, on the other hand, does start to go into that topic, and I would recommend looking at that. So, if all of that is even vaguely true, 
What does it suggest for us in terms of ways to effectively move forward? Well, in the video IDW and the way forward, we'll have a look.